the Sodexo Diversity and Inclusion podcast. Hello, Gemma Kirkman here and as co-chair of the Sew Together Network UK and I am pleased to introduce this podcast today. This podcast is one of three we're issuing to celebrate International Women's Day 2019 and they were recorded as part of our Sew Together FM Hub launch on the 5th of March. Here we'll listen to Debbie Rowland interviewing Lorraine Whitehead on her career journey and her reflections on gender balance along the way. I'm not used to the parky music, but I have studied it a little bit. So we're going to do a little bit of a parky style session. Um, and, and I'm just going to give a quick introduction to our key uh, guest speaker today. Um, uh, this is Lorraine Whitehead, and she's the Director of Estates and Facilities at the PFI on University Hospitals of North Midlands, uh, which is a very large and successful trust up there. Um, now, a little background on Lorraine before we get onto the stage, because I know this is how Parky does it. Um, and I know, I know I'm not Parky, I'm not from Yorkshire, uh, and I don't really like cricket. But apart from <laughs> I have got the same bags under my eyes because I studied them on TV last night. Um, but anyway, so Lorraine's, well, Lorraine had quite a, an unconventional start in life um, in, in the care of local authority. And this kind of start, I think, has built up her resilience in, 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 in what she's done and what she's achieved in her career. She's had a 30-year career in, uh, in the NHS, starting in administration and working her way up uh, very successfully to where she is today. Um, You're going to hear all about how she's got there and her journey, uh, which is really important because I think people can learn from that journey. Uh, also culminating that she actually did a master's degree while she was working, like some of us here, um, and I think that's a testament to the type of person that she is. So a round of applause for our guest, Lorraine White. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me along today. First of all, it's great to be here and great to support this important agenda. So it's great to have you here. I'm going to start by just asking a little bit of question, really around you and the character, and what do you think has really helped you in the character that you are in getting to where you are today? I think first of all, strength and resilience is probably the most important factors. I think within the FM world. You have to be strong. Um, a female in an FM world, you have to be incredibly strong, um, persuasive, and, and I think first and foremost, never give up because there's quite a few obstacles thrown in your way <laughs> along that journey. Um, and actually, to have the resilience and the tenacity to, to keep going at times is quite difficult. Um, but yeah, that's what I found I needed to do. I definitely would agree. Tenacity, absolutely. You have to keep at it um, <laughs> and not give up. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's something that I've experienced myself. Um, so with the organisation, you've been in it for 30 years. It's quite a long time, which is great. Um, but what have they done to really support you and how you've got on? What are the sort of the key elements that have, have really mm. helped you on your journey? I think... First of all, role models. I've been in a really privileged position in having um, served under three chief executives, female chief executives. We've had male chief executives as well. Um, but in terms of my learning and in terms of um, 
my development, it's the female chief executives who, who have inspired me, encouraged me, supported me, um, allowed me to um, have flexibility around work-home life balance. I'm a mum at the end of the day to two wonderful children. I'm a wife and um, I'm not superwoman as much as I'd love to be superwoman. Um, so balancing all of those things is, is, has been really difficult over the years. But actually having um, chief executives who um, support family-friendly policies, who absolutely live trust values in terms of inclusivity, in terms of equality, in terms of diversity and recognising how valuable those things are to the organisation um, has been critically important because they've been the role models who've made that happen but also inspired people like me um, to want to go on and to be the best that I can possibly be. Well, it's interesting that you've had three female chief executives. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that a normal? Sort I have of been thing? there 33 years, so yeah. don't say. <laughs> it's um, one per decade. Is, <laughs> um, I was just thinking of the statistics that Sarah was saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I sit on a trust board um, right now that is 50% female, yeah. um, which is, is fantastic. I think it's quite unusual compared to the norm, but more and more. I think we work in the NHS, so we, we do have more yeah. females. Um, certainly through the nursing profession mm. than, than males and um, that may have something to do with it but um, yeah we've, we've, we've had broadly balanced yeah. number of female and, and male chief So the medical profession is probably more balanced overall anyway yeah. isn't it yeah. generally which yeah. is quite good. Do you think you would have had the same journey if it had been all male CEOs? <laughs> the trust? Mm, no I, I don't think I don't think I would mm. um, and you know, I have seen a difference and I don't wish to generalise in any way. There are some males in, in the audience today, of course, and I, I'm sensitive because we can't, we can't um, generalise in a way that um, suggests that um, men um, stop us from progressing in the way that we want to progress. But some of the, the differences that I've seen in, in, in female managers, they kind of the understanding, the empathy to um, juggling mm. a career with with a home, with um, with children, with the desire to um, to reach the top, and why not? Mm -hmm. um, I think there's more of an empathy generally shown to that, and more of a support structure shown to that with women than there is with with men. Mm. Is is my view, and and certainly when I've progressed more in, in respect of my career and more quickly um, and I can only speak from my experience mm. when I've worked to a female rather than a male. Um, that may be coincidental, I don't know, yeah. Um, but yeah. That's Is it because, because they've got that empathy, you feel like they've perhaps moved some of the, or eased some of the barriers or challenges that you may have had yeah, I think. I think that's exactly it for me. I had a period of time um, when my children were very young where um, I wanted some flexibility around um, particularly school holidays and I was kind of in a, um, in, a, in, in a service role at that stage and it was quite difficult to give me flexibility in that role but 
what I did do was take on more of a kind oh. of corporate role within the division that enabled me to be not so quite service facing and therefore needing to be there every day oh. um, but allowed me to afforded me some flexibility during the school holidays to work on a part-time basis and you know when you look at the entirety of your career um, you know 10 years of flexibility over a um, 40-year career span is, is not a great deal to ask, is it? But it was important to me as a mum and important to me in terms of being able to balance what was right for me and what, you know, stood true to my values and, and um, wanting to, um, to have everything, really, wanting to have the career, but wanting to be a good mum and wanting to be... Um, you know, the sort of person that was balanced and, and had that work-life balance. And what kind of, what's your journey into the FM space? Because obviously you've done various roles by the sound yeah, of the Yeah, so I started off as a YT trainee, for those people who remember the government <laughs> youth training scheme. So I started at um, 16 at UHNM. Um, needed to get some money so it's kind of 25 pound a week seemed a lot in those <laughs> days um, and on the administration side of of Halfo, but was fortunate enough to um, work in the then trust headquarters so I was kind of um, I worked for the um, chief executives PA and got um, and had the ability really to be across all of the trust headquarters taking messages, doing all sorts of things. That was before emails came in. Um, and I, um, within a year, I'd secured my first permanent role, which was um, a short-time typist. So I took myself off to night school and, and, and got myself some short-time qualifications and then moved quickly into a personal secretary role. And then within six years, I was the PA to the chief executive at the time, who was a female, who is now um, a, a chief executive in, in, a, in, a, in another trust um, and then it was another seven years before I moved into um, my first managerial role but it was those people who I worked for along the way who gave me um, the confidence and gave me the opportunities in terms of um, lots of um, development opportunities. We've all heard of those, haven't we? Um, so um, went off to college part-time as well, so supported part-time studies on a HMC at that stage. Um, took me another seven years and then I was into my first general management role, which was within non-clinical services. And really it was that stage when I just fell in love with the profession. Mm. And rather than thinking about clinical management, which is where I was kind of assuming that I would um, go down the route of. That was seen as a glamorous, sexy side That's of the right. NHS. I decided that actually, no, my, my place was within non-clinical services. So managed a number of service departments for a number of years, um, six years, um, hotel services, general services, residential services, Basically, all of those services which no one wanted to manage, they put them all in a pot and gave them to me. Um, and, and then took on my first kind of divisional role in terms of a more corporate role in the division whilst the children were young, which gave me some flexibility. And then our new hospital came along in 2007 and took on a 
deputy director role at that stage and worked in that deputy director role between 2007 and 2017 when I um, applied for and was successful in getting the director of estates and facilities and PFI role which um, is an amazing job to have. I'm very fortunate in that um, I've been in the same um, organisation for 33 years, still learn something every day, still um, feel very privileged and honoured to serve our patients and to make a difference to their, to their lives and um, feel privileged and honoured to have been part of the UH&M family who've committed so much to equality and um, flexibility and giving people like me the chances that I've needed and now you know my mission in life is to bring the next set of people through um, to um, take on you know the future challenges although I'm not going anywhere very soon um, <laughs> but to take on the future challenges the future opportunities and um, and hopefully have the same kind of journey that I have. Are there many other women in a similar role in the NHS to yourself? Um, no, um, we're small in, in numbers, oh. so there's a lot that we need to do in terms of the profession and, and part of what I try and do is to change mindsets by um, putting myself out there, by um, networking, by um, profiling um, what can be achieved, oh. um, you know, and, and gaining their um, credibility through um, results really, through evidence, you know, this is what we're doing and, and it's hard therefore to to argue then, isn't it? And, yeah. You know, um, but there is a lot that we need to do and I think the slides earlier, 200 mm. years, crikey, uh, no, it, it can't take 200 years, oh, can yeah. it? So, yeah. you know, it is for people I think like myself and like others who are, you know, successfully working through and the various stages of the career paths to, to really um, promote um, what women can do um, and, you know, our ability, and again, not wishing to generalise, but our ability with our softer skills, mm. you know, um, to um, bring about innovation, transformation in, in a way that may um, sometimes take <laughs> men longer to do inspire people um, and I think that's a really important part of what we mm. need to do going forward. I mean you studied all the way through, you've done yeah. a Masters in FM as well. 15 years, yeah. part-time studies, it was tough, it really is tough. tough. Yeah, it is tough. But and it's, I, it's and I think it, it has helped, I think what's, um, what, what disappoints me um, somewhat is the fact that I felt that I had to do it, it wasn't mm. a choice. Mm. I did my degree, I'd done a HNC before that, I'd done a postgraduate diploma, I was qualified to the hill, yeah, I still felt an imposter yeah. and still felt that people didn't perceive me as being somebody who, who um, would be competent to do a director role and that, that was really disappointing and, and still is disappointing mm. to me, the yeah. fact that the driver, the, the fact that the driver for me was to to be credible yeah i shouldn't have needed to have done my masters in fm to feel credible i did and i'm glad i did do it it, it gave me more mm. more confidence but it was really 
Nobody pushed me to do it other than myself. And it was due to the fact that I, I still felt an imposter within a profession that I dearly loved and within an organisation that, you know, I cared mm. um, very, very deeply about. I, and that I, shouldn't be the case, should it? It shouldn't be the case, but I think as quite a few of us in this room would agree. Yeah. And I've been through it very similar uh, yeah. to you. And, and yeah, and you do have this sort of imposter syndrome. But I think it, having it does help you and give you the confidence without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. So I think it does help women yes. generally. Yeah. Do you think, do you think it, there is an issue about women thinking that they can't take on the more technical side? Yes, we've got the softer skills. But do you think that's yeah. kind of some of the barriers that they can't I, actually do that? I think, or they feel they can't do that? Yeah, I think most most definitely. And, and you know, a lot of us come through the administration, through the yeah. soft FM um, route. Um, there doesn't appear to be um, the same resistance to see um, to say that you know those who come through the estate route um, shouldn't be in the director positions, but for the softer firm and the oh. admin, the doors. And I don't understand why that's um, the case because you could argue that those who've come through the harder firm route haven't got the the knowledge mm. and, and the skill set required for. So I don't know why there's mm. even an imbalance there, but traditionally there always has been. I think there, there will always be a degree of, um, you know, kind of traditional mindsets within the profession that suggests that unless you've done the engineering, unless you've done mm. your time and served your time within Hard FM, then you um, are not competent to mm. do that role. And, and I think the more of us who've come through and who you know, um, really profile in the way that I'm, I'm doing today, that through the soft FM route, through the um, administration route, um, absolutely you can still have the mm. competence to be able to undertake the role the better, really. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, but it's still an issue. Um, mm. I do try to, um, I've, I've um, given presentations at the Institute for Healthcare Engineering mm. and Estates Management Conference for two consecutive years now um, I'm trying to do my bit in terms of a breaking the mold in that regard and um, I'm hoping it doesn't take 200 years um, <laughs> really to get to the point where we've cracked it but um, <laughs> we we need to keep on don't we definitely and you, you've touched on various professions in there uh, there's uh, what part of the FM profession I guess you've got a, a healthcare profession you've got an FM profession property profession let's expand yeah. a bit around that um, so from a healthcare engineering, that's the IHEAM. Um, from a what we have got within um, within the NHS is a director learning set of some of the biggest NHS trusts across the country. Mm. So some of the directors of those trusts are the biggest um, trust set. Um, it took me a little while to get in mm. to that director learning set, but I did mm. in the end. Again, persistence, um, tenacity, and <laughs> um, from getting so fed up of somebody chipping away at the background was kind of um, just lettering. It's an easier life. So um, you know that that represents a profession across the states mm. and, and facilities, and that's been an important one in terms of um, breaking the, the moulds a little bit mm. for me. And um, you know, and it's it's doing. A lot of work now actually on working with the centre. So, um, for example, at our last meeting, Fiona Daly came along, um, who's doing a lot of work around the NHS workforce strategy at the moment and used 
that group as the kind of peer group to test out um, where changes in in um, you know um, the legislation um, standards um, whatever it is might need to happen and, and a view from the floor mm. if you like and so so that group is quite influential now and it's really important there's, there's a group of 15 of us and there's two women um, so it's really really important that um, the two of us have the voice mm. but it's really important equally that we're bringing mm. other women to the table but I think that's a reflection of uh, the, the lack of, of female um, lack of females at the moment in director positions across the NHS and it can but be we're working like, on it it can be a bit like um, from my experience joining a bit of an old boys club it was very much so <laughs> <laughs> um, mine was with RICS which was the old boys club and but now we've got a, a female vice president yeah um, coming through from the FM background which yeah. is fabulous so um, it you is. know we are breaking the mold but it, you are. really have to push don't you you, you have do to push you do, and, and you have to become such a pain that actually they just, <laughs> they just give in in the end. It's yeah. like, just let her in. It's an easier life. Just let her in. Um, just let her have a say. And <laughs> but I would, I would hope that they would all say that um, you know um, the two of us who are there, who are women representing directors in the NHS, uh, the four estates and facilities are are making a difference mm. and um, are shaping a change. In, in respect of the future direction of, of that group Absolutely. and equally um, you know helping to, sh to shape change at the centre which is critically important because it's what drives mm. you know um, our regulators drive where the future direction of our our services and our, our trust in terms of our visions our values our objectives and, and so if we get it wrong at the centre it's it's a real problem mm. so that's the great news about that group now and the centre actually wanting to use them as a voice from the floor and from the people who understand what it's like mm. you know directly delivering those services so uh, we've gone through quite a few here and I'm really grateful that you've shared your journey here today and, and you are a role model and it's great to have a client role model here mm. as well for, for everyone to to share some of your experiences what would be your key takeaway messages for everyone today I, th I think um never give up and, and just do what your your heart tells you to do mm. you know i've i i trust my judgment 100 percent um there have been moments where <laughs> <laughs> it's it's let me down but but generally in terms of what's in here um you know follow your heart follow follow what um what the inside of you is is mm. telling you don't try and be superhuman though I've tried that. I've tried to be superwoman on many occasions, and you know, eventually it catches up yeah. with you. Um, but but don't give in. Keep going, and and you know, I'm proof that we can get directors, women directors, onto trust boards, top Absolutely. of the organisations, and and I'm not some bright university spark. It was a cleverest girl in my oh. class who'd got everything going for me. You know, I started off with a few GCSEs, not particularly um, good grades. And it's, it's been that, you know, listening to, to my heart, listening to what I want to do. And yes, I've had lots of help along the way. I've had some inspirational leaders who've, you know, offered me those opportunities and I've grasped them with both hands. Um, and I've been in an organisation who truly values equality and and you know giving that flexibility but but it's a lot of it is down to you and that 
you know, ability to drive and be determined and, and achieve yeah. and fulfill your full potential. And, and so never give up is what I'd say. Never give up. So <laughs> going to take that, take that away. Um, I think before we thank uh, Lorraine for being here today, have we got time for any questions? Yes. Yeah. Have you experienced any women that actually went against how the three chief execs you've had so have almost portrayed the opposite way of encouraging you almost being anti if that, if that makes sense so I, I've seen some female leaders that have not been helpful yeah I did I did have experience of a direct line manager in the early days of my career in in FM and um, and Probably not so much anti vocally, but just lack of support, um, and, and in really critical areas. You know, I'm not the sort of person who who looks for support from a manager unless I'm really struggling, and and so a lack of support. And that, um, you know, when I reflect back on that, I think there was a, um, I think I think on her part there was a bit of a fear of. You know, rather than kind of seeing an opportunity to bring someone through and to take someone on to the next level and to support and encourage an individual to, to grow, it was almost, um, I think, looking back and reflecting, I think I was, I was a bit of a threat at that, that stage, which was unfo unfortunate, really. Um, Did you use that opportunity to improve your own skills, to learn from the negativity from that? I, um, I chose to move on um, because I felt that the individual concerned was not, I wasn't going to um, make much headway in terms of changing her, um, her outlook and, and, and I felt I was doing myself a disservice by continuing under kind of what was quite an oppressive management style and was affecting my ability to do what I wanted to do really. It's the only one experience that I had that was negative though in that regard. In 33 years, that's not bad, is it? <laughs> it's pretty good. We're going to have another Q&A um, after the panel discussion, okay. but um, any other questions immediately for Lorraine while we've got us sat up there? Lorraine, thank you. Um, this might be a cheeky question on the Go basis on, that <laughs> uh, we're, we're working with you. Um, we've just uh, today produced our stats in terms of um, females in FM roles. Yeah. And... Um, we're not doing so badly, but, but there is a, a clear um, challenge in terms of the career spine or the career pathway for yeah. women coming through in terms of those senior roles. Um, clearly, Mike and I, um, together with the RLC, are going to be driving that agenda um, mm. in terms of gender equality. What advice would you have for Sodexo specifically in terms of how do we, you know, because we've got lots of initiatives going on around how we bring women through um, mm. the career pathway, but what advice would you have for us in terms of, you know, some quick wins just to bring women through? Because it's really hard, yeah. Um, and we're not seeing that succession planning. Yeah, I think I, I think first of all, it's it's role profiling, isn't it? Got some fabulous you know, representatives from, from Sodexo here today, females who clearly are in different stages of the careers, but, um, you know, are able to promote what's achievable. And, you know, I've, I've met Joe here today, I worked with at UHNM, and 
fantastic role model, you know, in terms of, um, you know, coming through the hard FM route, obviously, but showing the softer skills that are needed in any kind of leadership position. And, and so I think profiling the likes of Joe and others in terms of what can be achieved is really, really important. And, and I know people have said to me the importance of me being in the director role and the, the lift that that's given them mm -hmm. that they can aspire to that and what, why not, you know? Um, so I think that's really important. But I think secondly, in an area that we've really focused on at UHN because there were some big gaps, is, is the structures that promote that opportunity to work through um, the structure and not, make, not to have to um, make that sacrifice of either it's home life or work life, but there's no balance because you've got to make that big jump. Um, and we were guilty of having, um, you know, um, positions whereby somebody would have to jump from, you know, a, a very junior management position to quite a, a senior kind of middle management position with, with without steps in between. And, and that's quite hard, actually, particularly if you're trying to mm. achieve a, a work-home-life balance. So I think structures that allow progression, but in steps, as opposed to big leaps, um, is really, really important. And certainly we had some gaps in that regard at UHM. And I've seen the difference now in people, um, and in, in, in women particularly, where they've had the confidence to go for the next step, but wouldn't have even, wouldn't have had the confidence to have even contemplated mm. that step that was too up, but that's what the structure said. So that was their only option. So they kind of declined on the basis that it was too far um, and too big a jump to do all in one go. So I think the structures are really, really important. Lorraine, thank you again very much for being here with us today. It's fabulous to have you. Say thank you for the break. So, some great thoughts there from Lorraine and Debbie about bringing women up through the talent pipeline and being an accessible and visible role model to others who would seek leadership positions. And to echo Lorraine's words, and why not? See you next time. The Sodexo Diversity and Inclusion Podcast.